Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hi, everyone. I am Talia from Rebel Love, and this is the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Stuart Matola. So Stuart is a, a coach, an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur who works with men considering whether to save or leave their marriages. Welcome, Stuart. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you for having me on your show. No worries. I'm actually really excited to speak with you because you know, I think that fundamentally men and women think differently. And so it's always like really nice to get a peek inside somebody who works with men particularly because you not only get to peek in one man's brain, but into a lot of men's brains. So yeah, I'm really super interested to hear from your perspective because obviously I'm a woman and I only know what that feels like. So yeah, really, really happy to hear. And um, I think this is a really great topic to discuss. So love and marriage. What, what is the topic first off? I mean, I know what it is, but I didn't hear you say it. So <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about, um, well, will you work with men and considering whether to save or leave their marriages? But um, what we want to discuss today. Amongst other things. I mean, Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. But today I want to talk about um, uh, love and marriage from a man's perspective. So we're going to go into that a little bit more. But before we do, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and like what you actually do with these men you help? Sure. Sure. So I'm uh, in the most concise phrase, a men's relationship coach. And, you know, there's a lot of guys out there struggling in relationships. They have never been taught these relational skills. They've only been taught how to kick ass at work or really make stuff happen. And in the relationship realm, um, a lot of times guys are actually feeling like their partner has the one up and they have the one down. And uh, some of that has to do with you know, upbringing. Women have more access to all of their emotions, men having access to a few. We could get more into detail about that later. But yeah, relationality is not a very highly prestigious or prized thing in traditional masculinity. And dudes are suffering because of that. And I'll go on because I believe you also wanted me to speak briefly to how I got into this. Yeah, um, please. Well, I was always a seeker. 23, I ended up in uh, Lakota Native American sweat lodges, was on that journey for a while. I always had you know, cultural sensitivity to being a white guy on that path. But there was a crew who basically said, you know, this was offered to all people. 33, I noticed that in that spiritual path, I didn't feel a lot of like-minded people. And so I started going to men's gatherings with the Men's Leadership Alliance out of Boulder, Colorado. And that was uh, me looking around and being like, I don't got any dudes in my life who I can really talk about my stuff with and lean into. And so in that circle, um, it was just beautiful to see dudes talking about stuff that was vulnerable, they felt weak about, and it was through talking about it, they got, you know, access to their strength. So, you know, we hear it often, uh, access your weakness, and that's where your strength lives, you mm -hmm. know? And mm -hmm. so that was a whole new way of manhood that was uh, super cool for me to see. And uh, 18 years later, I, you know, still sit in a men's group and uh, yeah, I need my, I, I sometimes say my band of brothers, you know. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
So you basically sorted out, you found, you kind of identified that you wanted to go deeper and then sort out these experiences and, and, and that yes. kind of shaped where you are today. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, I was only going to spend so much time in a bar watching sports games, you know, it just didn't really do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to go back to something you said before you said a lot of men feel like they are one ups by their partner. Can you, can you, can you uh, expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by one up? Yeah. I mean, just on the most basic level, when it comes to talking out challenges, um, let's say there's a relational conflict, a perception, you know, you said, she said, he said, she said, and within three to four minutes, the dude's like just spinning. He, you know, he just feels like she's so much more capable with words. She has access to uh, talking about her emotions in a way that as a guy, I typically don't. I want to say typically that's changing a lot. It's been said that the millennials are the most emotionally intelligent generation of men beyond other praises or criticisms, but that's one thing that they are have definitely been raised with more access to relationality. And by that, I mean the ability to communicate how you're feeling without a charge and knowing like, yeah, I got the charge and you know what? I can sit with that, deal with that. I don't have to project it onto my partner. Um, and you know what? Stuff's going to actually flow better. There's going to be less fights, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, it's, it's not long before a guy can feel like he is, um, I'm sorry, just a suck here. Okay, we could get a little like window cord wood knock thing that's knocking there. Um, but it's not long before a dude feels like, whoa, what? She's just, he can't even follow the words anymore. And he's just checking out. Right. And so that's one place where he feels like a woman can just talk circles around him. Mm-hmm. You know, other places, I think a lot of times, because, I mean, there's something called the man box. Have you seen the Tony Porter TED talk about the man box? No, not yet. It's basically like, you know, if you just take the four basic emotions of uh, fear, joy, sadness, and anger, well, a dude was given one in a traditional masculine upbringing. Uh, he was allowed to be angry, tough guy. Tough guy's angry, tough guy kicks butt. Sadness was a wimp. Joy might have been gay. And then uh, fear was wimpy too. Right. You know, so you go from age, I don't know. I mean, shoot, you, you still see dads telling their one-year-old, stop crying. Yeah. So, well, wait a minute. You know, that's not good to do. You're screwing up your kid. <laughs> Gotta let the emotions flow. They mm-hmm. pass like the weather, you know. And uh, without access to those three other emotions, there's less emotional fluidity often for a man that he can spend the rest of his life recovering. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And it can make it really challenging to be in relationship because you don't know what the hell you're feeling. Yeah. And you've never really processed it before. Yeah. One of the ways I coach is uh, I'll talk about the four cylinders, like get your four cylinders firing your head. Everyone's got that. Your heart, that can be tough for dudes, your gut, and then, you know, straight up your, your balls, that, that passion, that fire, that intensity. And I want to be clear, it's not just sexuality also the spark. What are you fighting for? What are you waking up for every day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll just talk about those four cylinders with guys and then they have more data, more access. Oh, I know what the hell's going on in me. Now I can be in a relationship because if I don't know what's going on with me, how the hell am I going to try to, you know, connect with you? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I had a, one of my ex-partners would say that to me. He said, 
I'd ask him what was going on and he'd say, tell you, I don't even know what's going on with me. So how can I communicate? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what though, him saying that really helped me because I was like, oh, thanks. That's all I needed to hear is that, you know, you haven't got quite figured out yet. And when you do, you'll let me know. And he's like, exactly. And I'm like, sweet, no worries. You know, it's not, it's not a, um, a problem because that even that level of communication is helpful for me. Nice. I want to go back to, um, again, something you said before, <laughs> I don't want to get too off track, but yeah. this is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about the, um, you know, men having conversations with their partners and, and being in a state of like, you know, she's talking rings around me. So what about the other, the opposite man who, who shuts down and says nothing? Like, cause I think that in, in a way from my personal experience and what I've heard a lot, a lot of other women say who are hetero Excuse me, sorry. Is, is that they, that's more intense for them is when the man just completely shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. Call that the stoic, the stoic type. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. incredibly frustrating. And I've coached some engineers and I just think that's that it sometimes fits that profile. Again, can be just like pulling it out, you know, just like, dude, you got to get in touch with that stuff because it's killing you and it's killing your relationship. So, you know, I often do the equation of, okay, you go to the gym, you don't bench press 250 immediately. Let's start just curling those 10 pounders. Okay, so you're going to have a daily practice every day, you know, and a daily practice is one of the requirements I have of any man who works with me. And I, I call it the daily conscious solo time. Unconscious solo time is checking the web, you know, watching a movie, etc. Conscious solo time is going in, seeing what's going on inside. So I'll, I'll have those guys like, and that's a key thing about what I do and where I distinguish myself as a coach versus therapy. I'm always giving guys action items, you know, practices. You have to integrate this into your life uh, in order to have it stick. You can't just show up for the hour once a week. And so a big part of what I do is I create implementation plans, action items, clear milestones. How do I get a guy a tangible win? Because dudes don't want to do this stuff if they don't get quick, clear results and tangible wins. So I had some really nice conversations with some clients recently who said, yeah, I, I, I saw three therapists. I, I might have made progress there, but I had no idea. And within three months, I got a clear understanding of how I was making progress with you. And it motivated me to show up more. Right. You know? That makes sense. And so for that guy, hey, week one, week two, week three, you got a threat of knowing what's going on with you, Mr. Stoic? Awesome. Let's celebrate. 10%. Let's grow it to 12, 15, right. 18, 20. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, within six weeks, now you know what you're feeling 70% of the time. And there is some deeper shadow work to uncover some guys that was just never safe to have any feelings. Yeah. So we got to rewire that story and work with that old patterning. And so, yeah, you, you know, we got to go deep and we also got to keep it happening every day. Mm -hmm. Consistent. So, yeah. 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 It makes sense. Um, I want to come back to that, but I want to ask you now. So in your book, uh, Fixing You is Killing Me, you tell us your save it or leave it story. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I met my ex-wife at 22. I was just out of college, moved to San Francisco from University of Michigan. I grew up in New York, Long Island. And then uh, we were together five years. 20, uh, we got married at 27, had a kid at 30. She had a ton of chronic illness, uh, autoimmune childhood PTSD, 
gallbladder disease, West Nile, you know, it just kept coming. We had uh, medical bankruptcy. She's an amazingly strong woman to actually, and she functioned well, you know, for the most part, fairly well. But I just had to hold so much in the house, uh, running a seven-figure business, shopping, cooking, laundry, you know, and I was a, by nature, I was the archetype of the rescuer, you know, I got my self-esteem based on how I was making others happy and how I was fixing shit. And eventually it hit a point where I was like washing dishes over the sink, looking into my suburban backyard in Boulder, Colorado. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking die here. Can I curse on this thing? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Like I am going to die here. Something's got to change. And I want to be clear, a save or leave it uh, decision is, is often not just like, I'm out, uh, later. Right. It's a process. It took uh, two, I want to say two and a half to three years till we actually divorced. There were attempts. There was speaking of truth. There was speaking of what wasn't working. There was couples therapy. But at that, uh, what would I say, when the pain of staying the same is, you know, greater than the pain of change. I think it might've been Tony Robbins who said yeah. that or, yeah, or it someone, is Tony Robbins, yeah. you know, and that, that's just what it was. It was like, I'm going to die and I'm dying actually already slowly. And I'm mm-hmm. finally willing to not be the jerk who blows up a family, the father who's kid hates him. I mean, that's the hugest thing for guys. Yeah. They don't want to be the asshole who blows up the family. And, and, you know, even the adulterer guys, they don't want to do that, but they, you know, they're not thinking things out, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So I knew I needed a change at that point. Yeah. Wow. So you did try to do all those things. Like you said, you went to therapy. Like, can I ask you at that point at the dishes when you had that um, kind of revelation, <laughs> did you think I want to try and make this work first? Um, is that why you went to therapy or were you kind of like, you know, half like, oh my gosh, this is actually not where I want to be. question. I think I was clear I wanted to get the hell out. Right, right. And I also wanted to honor. Of course. 20, 18 years of union. You know, he was like, you know, this is the least I want to do is give it his due, work at it. And uh, I do say the hardest thing I ever did was leave the woman I loved. Yeah. I still, I still loved her, you know, and that's a, that's a big thing I talk about too, is um, call it a big love versus a shadow love. You know, a lot of us say, well, I still love her. Well, yeah, but every day is a shit zone and you're miserable and she's miserable. That's shadow love. That's like, it ain't working. You're projecting your stuff onto her. You guys are beating each other up. Yeah, there's tons of love there, but it ain't, it ain't a big love, a big love that actually um, has you feeling expanded, clear of the value of the union, just feeling like, fuck, I love this woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, can I ask you about that feeling? Because, you know, a lot of people say that that feeling is really like the honeymoon phase. So, and then after all of those endorphins, you know, kind of wear off after maybe like the three-year mark, then after that is the real test of time if the relationship's going to last. So does that feeling of like, you know, wow, this, this, I know, I just know this person's the one. What would you say to people after that three-year mark? Like what happens then? And, you know, I mean, my belief is that you really just, it's, it's like anything, you need to keep working on it. And you need, in my opinion, you need to keep growing in the same direction. 
for it to work because people change, right? People change whether you want to believe it or not, they do change. So if you're changing in opposite directions, then that's when it, things kind of start going pear-shaped. But when you're changing together and like communicating about the change and enjoying the change and seeing the evolution, then that's when things become, you know, really deep and exciting still. And it maybe the passion might not be the same as when you first got together, but there's other things that are, you know, valuable, I guess. Right. So if I'm, I'm clear, you're asking me about how do you deal with the post honeymoon phase? Yeah. Yeah. What would you, what's your, like, first of all, from your own personal experience, but then also like, do you have men who come to you after that, you know, quite early on or, is, or do the men who come to you come to you like, you know, 20 years down the track when they're like, had that dishes moment? It could be, I mean, I could see guys at five to eight years, but typically it's at a point where the house is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. those are the guys I work with. The house is on fire. And I don't know what the hell to do. Right. And I don't want to blow the mother up. But, and, and the interesting thing is our work actually is about helping them become powerful, sovereign men. And by sovereign, I mean in integrity, in alignment with their own wants and needs and identity. Now, the identity happens after they identify the wants and needs. And that alone can take a long time because believe it or not, as much as women are trained to put themselves last and take care of the family and everything else, dudes have their own version of that in terms of making the money and all the, the crap they got to put up with to deal with a corporate career or attempt to make an income that's going to provide for their family. Um, so they have their own version of that. So now I'll get to your question, but he's in his version of that. She's in her version. I mean, the nuclear family is just set up to be screwed these days. You know, just everyone's got to work their butt off to make the economics work. Yeah. They're often not around aunties and uncles and grandparents or cousins. Um, so it's like running two giant vessels and she's on one vessel going out to see he's on the other and suddenly they're invisible to one another and they've been invisible for a long time and i wrote a blog called the unlived life of the couple they stopped dreaming together they stopped communicating and, and so that's what i see in the post honeymoon phase often and that's when guys come to me i don't know who the hell i am anymore right yeah um, <laughs> Because there's been so much emphasis on providing, sacrificing, etc. And I don't know who I am anymore. We never have sex. I can never make her happy. She sees the one thing I didn't do. She had a list of 10 things. And I did all nine of them, but I didn't get that last. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't go down victim consciousness here, like poor guy, blah, blah, blah. But it's more, this is just an honest expression of, where guys are feeling really beat up in modern uh, marriages where women, granted, they're struggling. A lot of them are having a lot of chronic illness. They're having to deal with this masculine culture that's brutal. And, you know, they can't relax into their feminine half the time. But precisely because they can't relax into their feminine, they're doing a bam, bam. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you? you know, so right. I had another blog, Are You Married to a Drill Sergeant? And again, I want to be clear to anybody listening, this is not this, this is midlife. You usually see this kind of stuff. For those of you in your 20s or 30s, I get it. It's a different scenario. And don't paint me as some old fogey. 
<laughs> you know, I'm just telling you what you're going to be looking forward to in about 15 years. <laughs> Hopefully not if you listen to this episode. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think there are societal constructs that none of us can escape. The pe- what we can do is with diligence and vigilance, we can work with those constructs so that they don't destroy what's sacred to us, our marriage, our mm-hmm. family, our children. You know, a parent today has to decide something like 12 times a week or 17 times, like executive decisions, if their kid could be on this app or be on that app or what control they have, or if they're doing, uh, my partner right now has that, and, you know, she's like, I'm so grateful. I can check in with you about this stuff because on my own, I would go crazy. But back to the post honeymoon couple, I just want to be clear. I mentioned all this other stuff because that's in the mix. And we can't just isolate a relationship in a Petri dish without the environment of Western civilization today. Mm -hmm. But I will say for any couple out there, if you can schedule 20 to 30 minutes once a week, let's say Wednesday at 5.30 before dinner, the kids are watching TV, or if you got no kids and you're single, just say, just do a check-in. He talks seven minutes. She reflects what he, she heard seven minutes switch. Connect deeply and intentionally so you know what the hell's going on in each other's lives and you both feel seen and heard and you don't feel invisible to one another. And it's a muscle. And ironically, I did it when I was leaving my marriage with my ex-wife. And it's part of how we got through a divorce would have family dinners afterwards, be laughing with our 14-year-old son and be scratching our heads and be like, oh my God, how are we laughing and having fun as a family? And we're both like devastated inside that we're breaking up, you know? Yeah. Well, it's because we saw each other. And that's a huge thing that I work on is in relationship. Number one rule, well, two biggest things are the pause to, to notice what's going on with you. And the second is be connected. Don't be right. Yeah. 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 Give up being right. That was, uh, yeah, that was a a huge lesson that I had to learn as well. And it's really hard to give up being right when you know you're right (laughs) and just like not make it about being right, you know, because the minute you do, it's just like two um, bulls locking horns and, you know, no longer relational. Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard lesson for me. But um, a big thing too, I teach is personal empowerment, me consciousness, versus um, relational consciousness, us, mm-hmm. so that third entity of the us. So I would say for anybody out there, post-honeymoon, don't get invisible to one another. Check in once a week. Yeah, I love that. See into each other's inner world. And that check-in is not like, oh, I went to the market. Oh, I did this. No, it's how are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, I'm stressed. The kid's this. There's this thing coming up. Work's tough feel exhausted. Well, holy crap. Now I'm done telling you, I feel connected to you. And you just took off some of that exhaustion from me. I'm not feeling as exhausted anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have to actually hide from you and my exhaustion, feeling crappy that I'm somehow not performing. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. I love that. I love that. And I, um, I just wanted to, to notice as well, the way that you just kind of said that example was really, um, wasn't, it wasn't blaming. It was just explaining. It was just saying, Hey, this is where I'm at. And it's not about like, well, you did this and you did that. And you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I feel like there's, that's a really important distinction to make there, um, about that check-in. So yeah. And uh, huge thing for anyone doing a check-in is like, 
I statements, you know, you never say, well, you know, when you're feeling sad and you're down and out. No, when I'm feeling sad and I'm just yeah. so much more powerful. And, you know, at some level, this might sound like a bunch of new age hootie guru, but this is the hard work of relationship. Yeah, it really doesn't. I think there's a huge difference to me. Um, someone saying, well, when you're late, I'm, I get pissed off instead of saying, you know, um, <laughs> when you're late, I feel upset or, you know, when this happens, when this happens, when you're late, I don't feel important. Yeah. Versus, you know, I get so angry and blah, blah, blah. And you did this to me. Like there's a very different, you know, way that the information is processed. It's an adult talking instead of a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd, you'd be surprised how many um, uh, children are in adult bodies. Adult bodies. <laughs> That's right. I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask, what are some of the co- most common signs that a marriage can be saved when a man comes to you? And what are some of the most common signs that a marriage can't be saved where you're just like, you know, do you get a feeling for when guys come to you um, on how it's kind of going to go or... Yeah, no, I have, a, I, have, I have an initial gut and I'm, I'd say, you know, 90% sure about that. Um, of course, things change and you're tracking someone can be saved or is done for. I'm just feeling into both of those, tracking that. The save part is, you know, is there a will? Has the dude just been so beaten down where the baggage is just so heavy, he can't even lift it out of his way? Um, he's just reached such a dynamic of challenge, struggle. And so that, like I said before, that shadow love is all he knows. And uh, he doesn't really understand that there's another potential. Now, the thing is, in our work, we're going to teach him. The big thing I teach is the drama triangle. I don't know if you know that. Victim, perpetrator, rescuer. And typically something like that's going on. And so I just, we work on how he's going to show up differently. And the dudes who have a chance of saving their marriages, the partner, because when you, one person leaves that triangle, so that's, that's just basically a triangle of conflict that's unhealthy. Um, when one person leaves that, there's nobody to fight with. You know, it's not possible. That whole takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. So I'll coach the guy on like, listen, you do the rescuer thing or you do the victim thing or the perpetrator thing and you get jacked up. So honestly, one of the hugest things I teach is how not to get hooked right. as a dude, you know? And, and, and what do you know? Suddenly the guy's like, holy crap, this is amazing. I didn't <laughs> get hooked. I'm so free. You know, he's like just so flipping amazed that something that simple could give him so much energy and um, he's not spinning on her story. Mm -hmm, And of mm -hmm. course, vice versa, you know, a woman could spin on a man. Can you spell spell that out a little bit more and just really paint a picture of what an interaction uh, of not taking the bait would look like or, um, you know, not engaging? She told me um, I'm emotionally unavailable. I feel like a victim because I'm never enough for her. I'm just... I let her talk for 17 minutes the other day and I didn't say a word. She says, I'm not emotional. Well, you didn't say a word, dude. Did did you even like reflect back to her? Did you even let her know you were there? You know, (laughs) or whatever it is. But in that moment, he can feel like a victim. He can feel like he's getting beat up. Uh, You know, you forgot the 10th item on the list or you didn't get the kids this, you didn't do that. Or, um, you know, so any of those moments he can feel like a victim, he gets hooked when he starts to now doubt himself, his own capabilities, 
and he feels like he has to defend himself. And suddenly he's spinning on this story that she said instead of being like, mm-hmm, okay, I hear that's how you feel. You hear I'm, uh, I'm not emotionally available. Yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, say more. Right. Love Tell that. more. I, it makes me sad to think that you think I'm emotionally unavailable. And uh, maybe in his head, he's thinking, you know, and you're crazy, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to stay present with you because I don't need to buy into that hook. Right. And I'm actually learning about relationality, which means I am trying to stay focused on us and not just me. Right. Mm-hmm. Pre- yeah, totally. Present in that moment. Yeah, that's super helpful. And what are some, um, I think we went over like, uh, you know, signs in a marriage can be service, so that willingness. I mean, obviously that's a really good <laughs> More of a, a, a will. ingredient. A will. A will. As opposed to a willingness. Like there's actually desire there. Like right. I want this to work. Right. I see a good woman here, a good partner. Sometimes I work with gay men too. Right. And I see something worth fighting for. Right. Okay. You know? And, and the worth fighting for, that motivates guys, you know. And on the leave side, when he's clear, it's just like, yeah, I've taken too many punches. Right. The opposite. Yeah, I've lost that will. Yeah. Yeah. I can really feel myself kind of like feeling sad hearing that, even though I'm not, you know, kind of thinking of anyone in particular, but it's just like, you know, when the relationships just run its course and you're like, you know, I just... I think it's better just if we step out. And, it, and it, at that point, is your coaching more around like how to step out gracefully or what happens at oh, that yeah, point? Yeah, big time, big time. Um, my journey was very much about honoring my family. So yes, I often coach men on, I mean, the model's called conscious uncoupling, but beyond that term is remember when you want to throw down the hatchet that this is your child's mother. Right. Yeah. That's really important. This is not just this woman you're trying to get away from. Honor her, honor your family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do it in a good way. And a lot of times dudes do, believe it or not. And you had asked before uh, also how guys are feeling like women are, have a, a, an upper hand. And you know, I think for a lot of feminists, it, it feels preposterous to say that. But we're not talking societal. We're not talking careers. We're not talking the culture. We're not talking Hollywood. We're talking inside the invisible space of a home that nobody sees into. Right. That is the domain of two. In that space, he feels often uh, with a lower hand. And look at the divorce stats. Women are initiating upwards of 70% of the divorces. Yeah, right. And it's been said college educated women, 90%. Women are just, they're like, I'm done. I'm out yeah. of here. You know, you're, you're, you're freaking clueless. You're emotionally checked out and I want more. Yeah. And God bless them. Yeah. And you can get it. There are amazing men out there, amazing, conscious, incredible men. And um, yeah, I think that it's kind of like, having that standard for yourself as a woman as well. Like I know that I could, I'd rather be alone than being in the wrong relationship quite personally. I'm not willing to settle, but I know that a lot of people are out of fear and, and I feel like that's a bit of a reflection on, you know, the work that needs to be done internally. I think, you know, if you're willing to, you'd rather be with somebody who you don't love than wait for the right person, the right fit for you. Yeah. 
And as you were talking, I was thinking of another thing with guys. They say the average guy has 1.2 friends. I don't know about the point two. That's like, <laughs> but and women have like an on average, like three and a half to four really good friends. And so what happens with dudes often, and again, it's a cultural phenomenon. He doesn't expose himself or reveal himself to anybody often except for his wife or partner. She gets an inside glimpse of his tenderness and vulnerability that nobody else gets to see. So if she pulls the plug, holy crap, he loses that part of himself too. Yeah, wow. He often doesn't have other people he can expose that to because you know what? He don't want to appear weak. Yeah, that is such a profound thing to remember. I um, I I say that sarcastically, of course. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. Actually, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because a friend of mine just said that. She said her partner is jealous of her relationship with me because we're very close. And she said, yeah. And I said, wow, really? And she said, she said, yeah, he just doesn't have anyone and he sees the closeness that we have and he just doesn't have that with anybody. And so, you know, he's got nothing outside of the marriage and the kids. And, you know, I think that's a really kind of tough place to be. You, you've got your work life, your family life, but then no kind of like friend interaction or private reflection time or, you know, no, one, no one's kind of got you back who isn't, who's in your court, who isn't your partner. Yeah. And, and you know, there are tons of men's groups. Men's movement's pretty big in Australia, actually. But it ain't that simple because to get a guy to now show up and be in this space where people are saying things and his wiring's like, this is messed up. What, what the hell's going on here? You know, and that's just, that's, that's just a growth, you know, exercise a new muscle. Yeah. And uh, that's a tough challenge for a lot of guys. And uh, it's something I highly recommend because then all the burdens, actually, I was reading an article. I want to say it was like Harper's or the Atlantic, how women were basically telling their dudes, I'm sick of being everything for you. Yeah. I don't want to be your therapist. I don't want to be your, your, your mother, girl, be your everything. Go yeah. find some friends. Yeah. Burden on our relationship. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's interesting. Actually, I was just talking to someone on my team about that and we were talking about, uh, cultures because my, my background's Italian and her background is um, she's Puerto Rican. And, um, and we were talking about how like in, in, in those cultures, in our personal experience, uh, the, the women are very kind of nurturing. So they, they really play that mothering role. And she was saying that when her relationship ended, she felt, um, you know, she did, she did everything for him and she just felt there was so much more hurt there because um, of, you know, of the way she felt. And I said to her, I think that's a really interesting topic to talk about because I see that a lot in, you know, Italian communities or um, European communities as well, where there's, you know, very mothery. And I, I used to be a behavioral therapist and one of my clients' mother, she was also Italian and she did everything for her son. And, and I used to try to explain to her that like, he actually has a disability. So he actually needs to practice this stuff without you doing it. And I know that you think that you're helping him, but you're actually taking away an opportunity for him to learn how to do it on his own. And and she, it took, it, I couldn't really get through to her. Wait, and she, you said that to her? I did say that to her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And and she, and she. Good for you. Did she, hopefully she didn't smack you. Yeah. Well, we had a very, we had a very close relationship, obviously. Otherwise I wouldn't have said it. But um, she, she did get where I was coming from. And she definitely, she was like, oh, you know, when I framed right. it like that, she was like, oh, because I was like, you know, I'm here every, and I'm working with him. And every single piece of therapy that we do is an opportunity for him to grow and learn. And when we take those away, we, he, he misses out basically. 
And so obviously it's not the same in a relationship because it's not like you're not there to teach someone. So it's a kind of different scenario there, but. Well, there are women who, you know, they fold their husband's laundry, they cook all their meals, they get them, you know, I mean, obviously it's really old school, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, every amount of guys who can't cook eggs, uh, you know, yeah, not that uncommon. Yeah. And I think there's a fine line because like, I love, I mean, I haven't been in a relationship for a while now, but I, I actually love looking after my partner, but I think it comes to the point where it's expected. That's when, that's when the, the real drifts start, ha- start happening is when, when someone expects you to do things for you versus, you know, like there's this, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a, a movie in Australia called The Castle. <laughs> And the guy, he's just so appreciative of everything his wife does. She cooks dinner and he's like, oh, love, this is beautiful. What did you make? And she's like, oh, thanks, doll. And he's like, what is this? And, you know, what's this seasoning or or what's this flavor? And she goes, oh, seasoning. (laughs) And it was just, (laughs) and it's this big thing. And it's just, it's just so sweet how every single thing she does for him, he's just so appreciative. And he's always, thank you so much. Like I, I, I realize and I recognize that you're doing something for me. It's not something that's accepted, you know? And I mean, I don't know if other people took that from that movie, but, um, it's, it's an absolute cult classic, but, um, and as you're yeah. talking, I'm, I'm, I'm just tracking that whole masculine and feminine, which we haven't talked much about, you know, the. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Do you feel like talking about that? Sure. I mean, the biggest way I'll, I'll help a guy reclaim some of his power in his relationship. And I want to be clear that power is a power that works for the partner as well. It's not just a me power. I'm basically training men how to become themselves as relational leaders in their relationships, which basically means when the talking gets started, bring your masculine clarity to ground it. Bring your masculine clarity to create a container or structure for it. She's going to love you for it because you don't want to spin with a thousand words. And again, I want to be clear. This is not all women. This is not all men. Sure. But this is a pattern that I see often where she's going to spin on something and he's going to then go spin with her. But instead, he can take his masculine clarity and say, okay, why don't you check in with me for five minutes so I can really hear what you're saying so that you really feel heard. Or his masculine clarity might be like, hey, I'm not available to have this conversation right now. Can we have it in an hour? So I can give you the best of me. I want you to have the best of me. Right now, I'm distracted trying to fix this lawnmower in the garage or whatever the hell is going on. You know, that was a cliche. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so I've noticed in relationality, a lot of times men can bring grounding into difficult conversations or conflict, um, but they don't know that they can because they've never been taught this stuff. Right. And that's just, that sounds like it, it is tactical stuff and strategy stuff, but it can help um, make daily interactions or conflicts or weekly conflicts, monthly conflicts more fluid. And I like to say one of the greatest um, builders of trust between a couple is their ability to just navigate conflict fluidly. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, we just got through that. Nothing blew up. The house is not on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I love you, woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's um. What do you think of actually? I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think of the love? You read the Love Languages book. Oh yeah, yeah. And what do you think about that? Because I, 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 I like it. I think it's it's good, like 
frosting on top, but I don't think it's the core cake. I think people try to take it for the cake, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's really great information and it can definitely make a great ingredient mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to get it. But I think intuitively we know it already. Yeah. If we're paying attention, if we're paying attention, for sure, it helps to have those five articulated. I mean, what is it? Gifts, actions, touch, words. I don't know what the fifth and, one is. Um, uh, quality time. Yeah, I think it's great stuff. But I think if I'm in touch with my wants and needs, I know that already. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think about more, and this is a big thing I teach, is congruence between a couple. Like, do you like to do the same stuff? Do you share anything? You know, do you like to go fishing together or like, do you dream together? And that's back to that invisible post honeymoon version that we often see where both sides are spinning, trying to get their stuff done. And I got to deal with, you now, as opposed to, yeah, well, we got that next big trip plan. We love to travel or, you know, we want to do this exciting thing for our kid. And there's a sense of team. But when there's dreaming and there's communication and visibility to one another, I think we inherently know our partner's love language. So while, again, I think that's awesome stuff, I don't think it's the bones of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's awesome. My yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So I just want to um, go back to something else that um, you appeared on an episode of Web Talk Radio where you talked about the myth that you can make your partner happy and how it actually causes a lot of that pain and suffering. Can you expand on that a little bit? And also my second question to do with that is what can we do instead? Yeah. So I actually have a big chapter in my book about that. And just because I happen to have a copy here, you know, mm-hmm. wrench through the heart, facing is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great <laughs> image. By the way. <laughs> it ain't the Cupid arrow. It's the wrench. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bluntly forced through. <laughs> yeah. So uh, real quick, it's, it's the whole idea of you complete me. And we get just barraged with it. I think in my generation, it was from the age of maybe, yeah, not, probably not different, but the age of eight, you know, whether it's movies, pop songs, I would die. I will die was a prince without you. Oh, yeah. But any, you know, pop music is so full of the idea that, I will die without you right? and the ultimate love. And so it's like, again, there's an external culture supporting all this and giving us all this garbage in our head. And um, it sells a lot of movies, tickets. It sells a lot of music. And yeah, let's face it. It's fun to abdicate from yourself and not be self-responsible. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like, hey, you take care of me. Let all this stuff, like, you love me the way I can't love myself because, God damn it, I don't want to deal with it. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's fun. It's enticing. It's fantasy. But as, uh, uh, you know, I once heard, you know, the difference between fantasy and uh, reality is hard work, you know. So you can live in fantasy and then crash without your seatbelt because that ain't going to work. And a lot of times... It takes a midlife crisis or it takes a few really intense heartbreaks. And Jesus, what, are, what do I keep doing wrong? Oh, yeah. I expect them to love me more than I love myself. Damn, that doesn't work. So the other side is instead of you complete me, it's more of a, I have so much love within me, it overflows and you are the gift that I share it with. 
again, may sound new age hoity-toity, but it's more like I live love, I am love, and I have love to offer you, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to I need you to give me things that I can't give myself. And, you know, I, I want to be clear. It's not like, oh, I can live in a, on the hillside by myself and I have everything I need and I love myself and I'm great. Far from it. We're relational creatures. We're wired for partnership. You make my life bigger and richer as opposed to you complete me. You know, and when you stop making my life bigger and richer, we're going to really talk. Yeah, we're going to need to have a conversation. When I stop making your life bigger and richer, yeah, we got to talk because we ain't living in the 1920s where it's enough just to procreate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's even also not enough just to love someone as well. I think, I think that there's, there's a lot of other factors in oh, there. And that's a huge thing I say too, uh, that that's, that's what broke up my marriage. There was love. Yeah. And I was, you know, tooting the Beatles, all you need is love throughout my twenties and part of my thirties. But then I got it. I grew up, I was like, Oh, I also need uh, emotional safety. I need trust. I need respect. Damn, this stuff's much more complicated than I thought. But that's the truth. And if I don't got those things, I uh, can't live with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just before, um, as we begin to wrap up, um, I have a final question here. And we have kind of, we have really touched on this through the whole episode. So, um, but I just wanted to see if you've got anything else to add. What would you suggest uh, a man or a woman do not to repeat the same mistakes or patterns in the, in the next relationship? So. Obviously, you know, life is a whole lesson, one whole lesson, but uh, do you have any words of wisdom to, to leave us with there? <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds maybe asinine, but first know what the mistake is. <laughs> no, that, that's super useful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, the mistake that I find that's typical is I was unwilling to deal with a part of myself that you brought out of me. And so instead of really using that as a teaching, I decided that you as my partner or ex were no good for me. Right. Where if I can extract the lesson. So one of the lessons I got out of my, my prior marriage was I, I need visibility, trust, emotional safety, respect. That was huge. So that was a game changer. So I knew the next relationship had to have some of those entities. I did have another relationship after my marriage. And uh, one of the key lessons was there's got to be congruence. She wanted to have a child. She was in her early 40s. I didn't. We tried to wiggle our way through that with multiple breakups. And now I'm in another relationship that I've been in for 14 months. And I, yeah, I keep having my, my teachings in that one. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very much of how do I stay connected when I want to, you know, take space or, you know, when I feel upset or so it's all a journey. And I do feel like my current relationship is giving me gifts like I haven't experienced before precisely because I've continually paid attention to what's happening to me so that I can continue to expand my relational abilities to have the greatest love and partnership that I want and I know I deserve. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful note to end. Thank you. And um, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go to do that? 
Sure. StuartMotola.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-M-O-T-O-L-A.com. I run a a weekly Facebook Live, 9 a.m. Mountain Time on Fridays. I'll be doing one this Friday. And I also do a free men's uh, relationship tool. Uh, So it's Relationship Tools for Men. And that's a free weekly Zoom call Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And uh, I'm always talking to dudes. And uh, it's exciting to help guys get game where... They don't feel like they have much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I think the work you do is, is super important. And now I'm going to pop everything that we need in the show notes. So you can go to rebellove.com slash Stuart, and I'll put all of the information and all of the links that we've just mentioned in there as well. Stuart, thank you so much for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> thank you, Claudia. It's been awesome. Appreciate you taking the time. You too. I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> for listening to the rebel love podcast the podcast about love sex relationships and money if you like this episode please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast